0: Are you ready to take action to attain the lifestyle of your dreams? The of your dreams? It's a great way to make a lot of money fast, fast, fast. The Clever Investor
1: Show. Hey, what's going on, Clever Investor? Sperber here. Welcome back to the Clever Investor Show. I am so excited for today's episode because I got one of my favorite people in real estate, the great Ken McElroy, with us here today. Welcome, Thanks, brother. Welcome to Clever uh, Investor I Studios. Can't wait. This is going to be awesome. Oh, I'm so excited for this conversation. Guys, you probably know who Ken is. I don't need to read this long list of accolades, but I'm going to do it anyway because it is so cool to see a man with over 20 plus years of experience, one of the greatest educators in the real estate space, a commercial god in the real estate space. Absolutely blew up, too, by the way. Always read your books, loved the way you taught, watched you for many years, studied all your moves. Cause I think they're great. But when COVID hit and you came out of the gate swinging online, which yep. I thought was cool yep. and you blew up then I was like, man, this is like the greatest education for free almost.
0: Yep. Yeah. You know, it was funny. I was like, you need to go home. I was like, it, for everybody, I, I was like, Oh, I needed a break. You know, I went home. I was like, okay. For about two days, three days. I was like, okay, now what? And so I decided to put all this content online. And it just took off. Yeah. I, was, I mean, I was never really online before COVID, right? So yeah. we just never spent any time on it just because I was out doing deals. Well, I want
1: to read this real quick. For anybody who doesn't know Ken McElroy, it's com if you want to go check out his website. 20 plus years experience in the real estate investment space, an expert at analysis, property management, which is kind of how you got started, yep. right? And uh, acquisitions, property development, serves as an advisor to the Robert Kiyosaki Rich Dad company. Um, which is where I first heard of you. Because what, what was your first, the ABCs of... ABCs of
0: Real Estate Investing, yeah. Was that the first book? 2005. And that thing took off like, yeah, like, like, a, like a rocket. Robert's like, uh, you need to write a book on what you're doing. I go, I don't know how to write a book. You know? He's like, you got to do it, man. I'm like, going to give me some help. He goes, dope. So anyway, I figured it out and released it. And geez, it's been awesome. You know, sometimes the best
1: mentors don't give you the answer. He didn't. They just show you a little bit of the path and challenge you. A yeah, little and
0: he, he was right. You know, and, and what I've been doing is now, uh, you know, I didn't realize the book would be, you know, so so big and it has been. But uh, really what it did was it gave me an opportunity to start pumping out books and then roll them all into my uh, nonprofit for the, for the philanthropy. So so we have a full-time director now, a philanthropy that just gives away money. So all the books, all the stuff, all that stuff uh, goes
1: right back out into the community. You have ABCs of real estate investing, ABCs of property management, the sleeping giant. Yeah. I don't know if I've read the sleeping giant. What's that book?
0: It's all uh, EO, YPO, all business owners that started from nothing. I love that. So what, like you're
1: interviewing different.
0: Yeah. uh, There's 20 different uh, entrepreneurs. And uh, basically my requirement was that they, they did they couldn't have a rich mommy or daddy. Okay. And uh, you know, they self-made uh, correct. And so I interviewed uh, hundreds of them. We got down to 20 all over the world and uh, they're just interviews on how they started, how they finance it. And by the way, no real estate stories in there at all.
1: Well, just for people listening that don't know what YPO is, what is that?
0: Yes. Yeah, Young president's organization. It's just a peer to peer network on how to grow your business. Okay. it's hard to get in. There's quali- yeah, qualifications. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. just walk in and yeah. say, I want to be a part of this,
1: this good old boys club because you got it. Yeah.
0: 10 million in annual
1: sales to, and 200 employees. Yeah. I remember um, going through an interview with them and um, we did not have that many employees. Yep. And I, was, I think I was doing maybe eight or nine million at the time. They said, call us next year. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's I'm pretty- like, seriously? Like, you I know, I'm going to hard- hit it. And they're like, sorry. Yep. their standards. They are. All right. Um, you know, you've been in tons of media appearances. Top industry expert. You got the real estate radio show going yep. on. Um, am I missing anything? No, it's tons of philanthropy, all, good. We, all yep. the good yeah, stuff. I know.
0: We, we uh, I think last I looked, we we bought about three billion so far. That's it. Uh, yeah, we own we own two right now, two billion. Uh, we manage everything. We we builder. We we develop. We're a contractor. So we do ground up construction and really we're long term hold too. So uh, all predominantly multifamily, but some commercial office, some self-storage, a lot of of land development. All right. So let's kind of unpack all that because
1: the point of this show is obviously making lots of money and teaching people how to make a lot of money. But more importantly, multiplying your money, uh, that's where the multifamily comes in, making buying assets, making your money multiply, and then keeping more of it. How do we
0: live tax free? Yeah, tax-free, yeah maybe? no kidding. Yeah, and by the way, it's possible. People don't realize, like I didn't realize when I first started making money, I was paying out a lot of tax. And you know, for whatever reason, you have this mindset it's the American way. Well, it, you know, a lot of people still believe that, but the truth is, the government pretty much tells you what to do. They do. They they say you know, we want this. You know, we want alternative fuel. We want housing. We want oil and gas. And then they give you tax credits for it all. So if you just do that. You, you know, you could legally make a lot of money and pay very little, if no tax. Do, do you pay taxes? No, well, I haven't paid tax in, gosh, I don't know, at least 15 years. Why do you think Trump was hesitant to say, I don't pay any freaking taxes. Do you know, I'm a real my, estate guy. Well, I, was, I, was, I, wa- I watched like everyone yeah. watched. You know, he's like, well, you don't pay any tax. He says, because I'm smart. And then uh, Hillary Clinton, he, he said, well, you won't do anything about it because all your donors do the same thing I do because it's legal. And that's why when all the tax returns came out, they they went away. If you know there's yeah, been nobody nothing. really made yeah, they, like
1: they made such a huge deal out of it until they finally came poof, out and gone. Then it was
0: like right. oh, I had it. Yeah, because you know, depreciation, cost segregation. We were talking about it before, you know, like 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 when when you know, we had a big big cash event one time we sold a bunch of stuff. We just bought a jet and the the jet pays, you know, you can write off the jet in the in that same year and your whole thing, even if you finance it. So there's all these rules and tax laws that you can use to not pay tax if you're paying attention. So let's let's uh, and
1: then the last part of this podcast obviously is you know managing your money really well, living tax free. Sometimes it's like, do I do I scale my business and make more income, or do I just keep more of the income that I'm already making? So yep. it's that that philosophy. And then the last piece is how do you make your money matter? And you kind of started with that, saying you have a uh, uh, what did you call it um, a um,
0: a nonprofit. Yeah, yeah, that came later. You know, I used to be like a lot of people, I was a check writer, you know. And then, you know, I would tell everybody, "Oh, I'm doing all this stuff for charity and maybe go to a golf event or here or there." And I was like, "You know what? This is all rookie shit." So, I remember I uh my well, what happened was my very good friend um got cancer. And uh he's like, "Kenny, you know, I'm not gonna doesn't look like doesn't look good." And he was running a um uh, autism walk here in Arizona big one, but it's about 10,000, 15,000 people that show up. He's like, would you chair this for me? I need to go into chemo. And that was it for me. You know, that was uh, maybe 10 years ago. And I was like, you know, this is way better. Like being around the, you know, like, like people that are affected and hearing their stories and all that. And from there, I just like anything like you do, like in business, I just became intentional. I said, I'm going to create a whole foundation. I'm going to hire somebody. I hired the girl um, who was um, she was a head of Apollo Group, um, and oh, yeah. uh, she she did all their nonprofit, and then she was at Arizona State, um, and uh, now she's with us. And she basically it's employee run. We dump a bunch of money in there. Uh, there's all kinds. What's of What's the purpose of it? It's uh, it's literally to give back to the communities. So like uh, like during COVID, uh, we 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 gave a lot of money to food banks, and actually even to our empl- our empl- our own employees. But primarily, it's uh, now we're doing 50, 60 different charities, but we usually do like 100 to cystic fibrosis, 100 to autism. And, you know, we spread it around now. So it's getting, it's getting interesting because it's getting bigger. Yeah. Uh, but it's really, really, really fun. And, and what, I, what I learned, Cody, is um, it became a segue for people to want to work for us. You know, I started off with this little thing over here where I was just trying to donate money and you know my buddy says, you know, you start off you know in your learning years and then your earning years and then third is your returning years. So I'm in my returning years and what happened was my employees, people started coming there they like we like what this company stands for and you know we do a lot of stuff kind of under the radar. Um, it's been wonderful, wonderful. And, and my head is always there, you know, like like the book stuff or the speaking stuff or whatever I'm doing. Um, even last year for our limitless event, you know, I took the money that we made and I, and I donated it. So those are it's just awesome. yeah, it's it's brilliant. and I, I love I love the
1: impact when you when you know making money, having fun and making your money matter. It's like the full circle, you know? So that's great that you're doing that. But first we let's teach people how to make some freaking real money. Right. When you say things like, I I have 3 billion, 2 billion. It's like somebody who's just standing there at the one yard line, staring off into the abyss going, yeah, but I don't know anything about multifamily. I don't know anything about commercial. I barely even know how to spell the word real estate. You know, you started off in property management. That's fair.
0: Yeah. My, 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 you know, my dad was a contractor. My mom was a hairdresser. Uh, you know, I, I grew up very blue collar. Uh, we weren't expected to go to school, college, and um, I went on a wrestling scholarship. And I ended up managing an apartment building for free rent. Period. That's how I got into property management. And uh, the company I was working for asked. You know, I was like, after I was graduating, I'm like, this is fun. You know, it, the guys like, you need to go get your real estate license. You need to go. You know, and so that was my first and only job was with that company. And and how big was the Apartment complex that was sixty units. All right, so there's yeah.
1: you. You living in one of them. You oh 59 yeah, tenants yep. that you got
0: to babysit. Oh, absolutely, and you yeah. cut your
1: teeth. The, well, the hard school. I'll tell you school, exactly the best school? part.
0: Like, um, so again, I grew up in construction, and my I knew how to do stuff, and uh, you know I wasn't afraid of any hard work, which is you know how I grew up. So so a unit would vacate. I would go clean it, paint it, rent it. You know, and all that stuff. I didn't ever vend. Like, you know, nothing like even, you know, and so the owner came by about, I don't know, four or five months later and it's full. I'm like, well, this is a lot easier if there's hundred percent of the tenants are paying rent and I don't have to, you know, show units anymore. So that was my whole goal. It was pretty, property management is pretty common sense, really. So he came in and he's like, dude. This is awesome, you know, you are, you know, he loves you. Yeah, yeah, and and I was like, well, I'm on the wrong side of the desk, you know. Well, and it. if nobody pays, you're you're on a wrestling
1: scholarship. So yeah. You can go ruffle some <laughs> yeah, feathers. Give yeah, me yeah. that. Give me that rent, a, buddy. I
0: did get in a bit of that. So, but you know, that that does happen too. It was it wasn't in the greatest area, but yes. So, uh and then with with that company, it, I ended up managing a bunch of properties all up and down the Interstate 5, which is I'm from the Seattle area. And they were all small, man. Four units, eight units, 12 units, 20 units. You know, there was all, because the company at the time was growing. It's a big company now. And it's called Pinnacle. Uh, but at the time, it was very small. It was called Goodman Management Group. And it was owned by a guy by the name of John Goodman. And um, he's a billionaire. And, uh, you know, he, he still lives up in the Seattle area, but just a great mentor, you know. So he had brokerage, he had property management, he was buying stuff. And I got to see from that lens, you imagine this, as a 20-year-old, as a, you know, wet you know, behind, behind the ears, you know, these ownership groups, they would put together partnerships, they were coming in, they would give them to me. they go, you know, go fix this. And so I would go manage that, fix it, whatever. Sometimes they would, you know, be in bad shape and sometimes they didn't do their due diligence when they bought them. And so that was about eight years. And, and so I, I managed maybe 25, 30,000 units while I was there. And you just, uh, all sizes, all locations, and somewhere school, new. were the old. schooling, the knowledge so you're gaining good. going so through. so good. That. Yeah. Cause, yeah. you know, they don't call you if you distribute money and they call you if you don't. So, you know, so, y- you know, you pretty much learn quickly on what works and what doesn't work. And that's actually, in my opinion, that became my secret sauce for when I started to buy because a broker would give me a deal. And I'd been down this road so much through property management, I was just looking at the numbers. I'm like, okay, I, I got this. You know, I know how to create value in this in this rent roll. I know how to create value in this financial. I could see it even before I went onto the building, because I had done it so much. And so, so when I actually got the courage, and I because I didn't know how to buy, I didn't know I didn't have any money, I didn't know how to negotiate anything. Um, and once I got the courage to actually go do it myself. Um, then I realized that the power was actually seeing the deal that nobody else saw and then having been able to put the team together to fix it.
1: Now, would you recommend somebody who is just getting into and an aspiring to maybe do multifamily on a bigger scale um, to maybe start with property management like you did?
0: Yeah, so so here's what's happening now. There's a lot of syndicators that have been out and you know raising a bunch of capital, all that kind of stuff. And they actually don't know what to look for. You know, they don't know the language, you know, and, and there's a serious language in property management of things to look for. Um, you you know, and and so what you know, they don't they don't when when they're firing somebody or rehiring somebody, they oftentimes don't know what to ask, they don't know what to look for. And, and sometimes they just make a lot of bad decisions. So when you have all of that, you know, the, those tools in your tool belt to be able to hire somebody or manage your own, you learn a lot. And if you're going to, if you're going to raise capital and do it at a pace, uh, which I think anyone can do, by the way, um, you have to know, I mean, you have to know the nuances. You, it's not a transactional thing only, right? I mean, the money and the clothes, that's the easiest part. The hardest part is identifying it, uncovering all the stuff during due diligence, putting a business plan together, creating a value add that's a win for the investor and for you, and then executing. The, the money is actually the easiest part. It, it all, in all honesty, in my company, that came in the last 48 hours. The minute we would put a business plan out, we would raise the capital in, say, 48 hours. So you weren't pre-raising. You were, you were
1: more like, hey, listen, if the asset is good enough, the money's going to gravitate towards it. We never pre-raised not I one time. This. It's funny because I just got in a, I, I was hanging out with Vina Jetty, who's a f- good friend of mine and one of my multifamily mentors. And she was like, you want to maybe want to start like raising now. And I, and I have the opposite feeling. I'm like, man, if I could just kind of like what you were saying, if I could just find a really great deal with my marketing capabilities, I'm going to raise capital. Yep. And she was kind of pushing back on that. And I, I was pushing back on her. And so it's kind of interesting to hear you say that. Cause there's, the reason I asked is there's really like multiple businesses in the multifamily space. You got You got the property management, you got the fundraising, you got the asset management, you got the building or construction side of things. Like, There's a lot of businesses within the main business. And sometimes when I'm talking to somebody new or even me as I'm transitioning hard into this side of the, uh, into the space is like, well, how do I make money? And if I go try to buy something, even a 40 unit, let's just say, it's going to take me a while to like pull it all together and make money from it. And how do I survive along the way if that's my full-time thing that I'm focusing on? And it's like, well, maybe pick one of those four sub businesses and do that as your
0: job while you're trying to put the rest of it together. I agree. Yeah. I, I'm a big believer that I think people invest in, you know, the deal, you know, especially in the beginning, You, you know, maybe after you're rolling, there's a lot of people that throw money at me now because of my track record, but in the beginning, certainly in the first five years, you, you, you just should, what actually produces the money for all of it is the deal itself. So if you can find something where you can create massive value in it, uh, people make sense. It's just math, like literally, you know? So that's why I don't necessarily need the money first. But to your point, I just need a big list of people that will take a look at the deal when I feel like I have one. And that's a way better, I'd rather have the pressure on me finding deals than me having money and finding deals. So
1: let's talk about um, kind of like, what is a deal to you? Like right now, when you're out there in the world today, because the world's kind of crazy yeah. right now, is there certain cap rates you're sniffing around for? Is there certain types of assets? Like what what, what would get, what's your buy box? What would yeah. get Ken excited?
0: Yeah, good. So I've been all over the map in my in my history and um I think that I you know the lane I'm going to stay in is my, the multifamily lane over 200 units. And then we have specific locations that we like. So so when we go to an area unlike a lot of people you know we make sure that the the employment's strong, the population strong, the migra- migration patterns of people going there are strong, the school system strong, the crimes are lo- the crimes low. There's a there's a whole checklist of things that we do internally to determine even if we go somewhere. So that's number one. Number two, uh, we draw a circle around that within a certain period of time. And then we start to look at the number of units in the area, how vacant they are and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the volatility of the employment and all that stuff. So, so the base, we want the base to be there long-term. So once that's done, then we go look for things. With, you know, the, uh, We always say it has to have a story. Whatever the story is, we don't really care what the story is. So I'll give you an example of the last one I bought. I bought a 230 unit just north of Dallas, which I love the area north of Dallas. It's a uh, Plano, Frisco area. And the owner had it for 19 years and didn't touch it. So, you know, okay. So it's got 19-year-old appliances, 19, you know, I'm generalizing, but you get the point. So he hadn't put a lot of money into it and they owned it a long time and they decided to sell it. So I look at that and I'm like, okay, I got $500 a month in, in rent growth. Uh, he's running a whole bunch of other expenses through it. The you know the managers, you know, flat or lazy, let's call it. He's had them there for a long time. So there's all these you know things what, that I call forced equity. So it has to have forced equity. So that's the story. The story is I can't remember what we paid. Maybe 30 million. So so maybe 30 million. And, uh, and when I fix all of that, it's going to be worth somewhere in the mid 40s. Okay. So that's the story. So once I package that up and prove it all out, then we put it into a business plan and we give it to our, our, our list and we say, hey, we're buying this for 30. We think it's going to be worth in the mid 40s. And, uh, you know, this is how long we need your money. This is how long it'll, this is how much money we'll make in between. And this is what I think will happen when we do a cash out refi. Because as you know, I don't like to sell. I like to hold. The other thing I do is when I raise money, and like a lot of people, is I'm behind all of it. So uh, let's say if it's a $30 million deal and I need 10 million bucks. I make money once I return the 10. So my motivation is to return the 10. Got it. So wait, you're, you're not
1: even really getting paid uh, until the refi happens? That's right. Interesting. Yeah. So are you getting a fundraising fee from the fund or anything like that or let's back up a little bit just so people can yeah. walk with us if they don't know this business yet. Are you doing a GPLP kind of structure where you're raising capital? So that's why you're sending out this marketing material. And maybe on a $30 million purchase, you're raising what? About 10 million, let's say. So maybe uh, one third down and finance two thirds. Okay. And, and for that, what, what is the kind of pitch? Is there a certain pref that
0: you're offering? So yeah. So, so what we do is a good, it's a good point. So we don't do a fund. So what we'll do is literally the business plan stands on its own. So we only need 10 million. That's it. So the business plan goes out and then people come in as an LP model. I'm the GP. Now also I put money in, so I'm usually 250 to 500 on every deal. So I'm alongside of all the money. And because we're trying to do multiple deals, that's why, you know, that's why you syndicate. I, I think you syndicate, to spread your money through a bunch of projects, not because you don't have any, um, and so we have money in every deal, um, and obviously our our LPs like that too. So I'm I'm sitting right alongside of everyone's money. Then, really, the deal I just have to perform to the business plan. So if you if let's say that's a three year uh, time frame, because on a 230 unit project, it's going to take me at least two years to turn those units. So after with normal turnover, so, so now the net operating income's higher. You know the rents are higher. The place is looking better. We probably have a better tenant profile. I've managed the expenses down where they are. are. I take that to the bank, and let's say the thing's worth forty-five million. Now, um, now that's uh, uh, I, I want a thirty million dollar loan on a forty-five million dollar value. So th- I take that thirty million loan. I pay off the original twenty. I pay back the ten. That I got from the investors, mm-hmm. and now the investors are in for nothing. That's an infinite return. So the investors now have no money in the deal. Now I'm starting to get uh, my percentage, whatever it is, based on whatever the cash flow is. So I've also made money on my, you know, let's call it 500 grand that I've invested, but I've also given everyone their money back, including and, yourself. Yeah, 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 nice. yeah. So everyone gets their money back. So, so the way we do our preferred returns is. Oddly enough, I don't have a strict model. So what I do is if that 230 unit was kicking out 5% cash on cash, that's what it is. I'm like, you guys can have 100% of the cash. I don't really care. I just want the, I want the 10 million. So I want to be able to pay something out. If it's six, I give them six. If it's seven, I give them seven. So when I'm looking at a deal, I'm looking at how much the deal produces. And then I'm giving that to the uh, investors, which I am in. So, and the real juice of the, you know, from the squeeze is the GP, right? So the GP deal. So let's say it's a 50, 50 deal. Is that normal? Is that kind of like your goal? Like yeah. Try to yeah you would never do anything, let's say under, um, you know, 25%, but, but so, I know a lot of
1: people do like 75, 25, yeah, yeah, 30 yeah. or something. We've
0: done that. We've done 50, 50s and. You know the thing is 50-50 sounds a lot better for you putting this deal together. Well I mean, think about the difference though so on a 75-25 deal, uh, if somebody's participating, then they get less I'd rather I'd rather bet on myself to get the 10 million back so then at that point, how, what what LP can bitch if I'm 50 50 I'm not taking anything and I'm, I'm on the come you know so I'm in year four I'm not making money till year four. I'm totally fine with that. But now I'm 50/50. So when that deal now produces 500, 600, 700,000 in cash flow, I get 50% of it as opposed to 25%. So 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 for me I'm playing the long game, not you know I'm not trying to make acquisition fees and all that kind of stuff. I mean I am obviously we got to keep our company going, but that's you know that's literally just for operations. We had Jerome Maldonado on here. Do you know Jerome?
1: He's mm-hmm. a builder. Um, you should get to know Jerome. He's got about a thousand units that is in already making money. He's got six hundred in production. He's a builder from the ground up. He's been nice. He's he's been building multifamily for about maybe like six or seven, eight years now, and he's really getting in the swing of things. Got a bunch of projects around town. Um,
0: but anyway, he uses debt. He doesn't re- syndicate. He, yeah, so, so we have six under construction right now. I have 1,500 units under construction. Um, and, you know, there's lots of ways to finance that, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, construction is a little risky right now
1: with the interest rates. You know? I was going to ask you, like, how worried are you on the back end to refi out or even get construction well, loans? yeah, that makes I'll, sense.
0: I'll give you a quick story. We have a 330 unit under construction down in Marana, just outside of Tucson. And uh, we were $7.5 million off what we thought it was going to be. So, that's it, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> that's it. Just a small rounding error. So that's a oh, big number. It is. Yeah. yeah. So so my partner Ross and I funded that, and then you know, but that's part of it. Like a lot of people don't talk enough about that. You don't what t- would you have done if you don't have seven
1: million dollars? Well, you can you can dilute. Capital
0: call. Yeah, you can do a capital call and you can dilute guys and all that stuff. But I've never capital called in twenty two years. Never capital called once. So we didn't want to. It's a selling point. So, yeah. So, so again, though, this is just the other side of it. This is stuff that not a lot of people talk about, but it is a fact. So, but we also thought it was going to be worth, but in the mid eighties, And we got an appraisal It was like 108 or something. So, you know, so the value- There's
1: some light at the end of that tunnel.
0: Maybe, you know, that was, we're not quite, you know, we open in July. So, you know, we're right in the middle of this. And, um, you know, we'll see, you know, you open in July, then you lease up and then you go to the bank and you see what the rates are at the time. And you see what the loan to values are at the time and what the values are going to be at the time. So, but at the end of the day, it's a seven and a half million dollar loan that we put against the project. So we don't dilute our investors. And that's it. And, um, you know, that happens. It does happen. So you I ever, am concerned about construction. I just heard about
1: a group out of Houston that got foreclosed on, a big group. Um, I don't hear about many multifamily major foreclosures, yeah. but I feel like it's coming. It is.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I tell everybody, you know, we're probably in the second or the third inning of a nine-inning game. In, in all seriousness. Yeah. So let's un, let's unpack that because... I'm, you
1: know, we're part of two multifamily deals um, as LPs, and um, both of them stopped the pref. Uh, and one of them was even considering a capital call, and we were pushing back on that as investors. We were kind of like, "What the heck is going on over there?" It was only supposed to be a a 20 month turnaround or something like that, um, and it's turning out to be <laughs> a lot worse than that. And we're going to end up holding it yeah. for a while, and in order for us to get out of the current debt structure that we're in, there's probably going to have to come to the table or sell at a break even maybe even a small loss, who knows how this thing's going to play out. And uh, I know a lot of people that are really nervous about the next 24 to 36 months. So what's your outlook on the commercial space with rates? Sure.
0: Well, so first of all, in the commercial space, you've got the way, what I look at is I look at office, retail, industrial, I look at multifamily, you know, I look at, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, you know all the different classes. And I think that's important because each one's different. So like office right now is getting hammered, right? People are, you know, their leases are renewing and they're downsizing or, or just not renewing or whatever. So so you got this commercial debt side of the business. And the reason I bring that up is because these are the same people that finance multifamily. So, you know, the like or CBRE or Dun- Walker Dunlap or whoever it is that you're going with, they're financing office. They're financing retail. They're financing multifamily. They have a whole portfolio and a whole allocation strategy. And the reason why that's important is because if a commercial office building is defaulting, which they're starting to, um, it affects that lender. And so, so they're you know so everything's on watch right now, right? Um, and the same thing on retail with direct to consumer and all that. Those are all potential issues. But specifically for multifamily, the real issues that people are going to have are if they have variable rate or bridge loans, or they did some kind of value add. Um, you know, when you said that um, you know they're not paying the pref, it's still accruing. So the pref is still mm. accruing. So even though the syndicator or the or the GP isn't paying it, it doesn't mean it goes away. So what people a lot of times people forget is that there's a cost for the debt and there's a cost for the equity. The cost for the equity is called pref. The cost for the debt is called the interest rate. So, you know, that's it. So <laughs> there's a cost. So whether the property produces it or not, that's why I was telling you earlier when I do my pref, I solve to the cash flow. So, you know, so I'm making sure on day one that thing's cash flowing, 5%, 6%. And that's why I don't have a standard deal. That's why I don't raise money at 8 or 9%. Because why would I want to be negative? Why would I want to be behind that? You know, I don't. So um, so that's been our philosophy is that the property should pay the PREF. Now, if they can't pay the PREF, it's probably as a result of the interest rate going up on their on their uh, variable rate loan. And that's actually the big issue that a lot of people are having and not just in multifamily. So we're having, we had six deals that we were doing. By the way, we owned already. <laughs> so they're internal deals. There weren't things that we went and syndicated on. But they were they were deals that we we did a cash out refi, you know, and we're putting the money back into the property and we're we're growing the rents again. So I have properties that I've owned over 15 years and we've refinanced three times. So you know, but you would do it at a at a variable rate. And then some people would ask, well, why would you do a variable rate? Well, because you don't want to put a fixed debt on something that is undervalued. So you do a variable, and then you put a bunch of money into it just like I was saying before in that 230 unit. So it's the same thing. So you wait until you've actually proved out all the value, then you put the fixed rate debt on it. So so all the people that are caught between the fixed rate and the variable rate, they're the ones that are in trouble. And um, the, 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 other, the other side of that is that cap rates are also going up. So as interest rates go up, cap rates go up. So if a capitalization rate... Is 4% when they bought or like which like everyone a year ago, let's say, and they've gone to five, that means that that means that your property is worth 20% less. If you take your same NOI and you divide it, you know, four to five is 20%. So that's a 20% loss of value. Now it's just in paper. It does, it's irrelevant unless you have to sell, right? So if you have to sell, that's what you're gonna get for it on the open market. But if you can wait. Maybe cap rates, you know, come back down to four and interest rates come down again. But what I find is a lot of people, they have loan maturity issues and they have other things that are forcing them to sell, even an equity partner. So a lot of these guys have used big equity partners like, let's say, um, you know, uh, BlackRock. So let's BlackRock, you know, gives me money. They want it back, you know, in three or four years. They don't care about the market. They want it back. So then, now you're negotiating with them on when to get it back. So you know, that's not a good position to be in either, because as markets come up and go down, you know, I have a good buddy that bought a whole bunch of stuff in Denver with a big company like that, and he's like, Kenny, these, these our our equity group wants wants us to sell, and he's like, the market's like not ready. It's like I, we're just turning and we're about ready, you know, to 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 grow. Two or three more years is what I need, and he had to sell. So that's how that's how managed money is. So so you got to be careful, you know. Like you don't have a choice if, they're, if they they no. put the pressure on you. 100%. Yeah, yeah. That that managed money is, uh, is, you know, it's a tail wagging the dog for sure. So overall, do you feel like the
1: next two, three years, there's going to be a bunch of people defaulting, a bunch of new uh, property coming on the market? Are you sitting on the sidelines with like dry gunpowder? Yeah. Like, what What's your
0: viewpoint of it? Well, I, I don't think everybody, I think it's going to be property specific. So, you know, I think everybody's, um, I think if you've got a new construction project, you potentially are at risk um, because you, again, you can't finance something with a fixed rate debt that doesn't exist. It's land plus you know framing and drywall and all that. Once it's done in full, then the bank has something they can wrap their head around. At that time, that's the rate. That's the loan to value at that time. so so there, you know, if if somebody broke ground on something six months ago, you know, you got another year and a half, right? You got to finish it. You got to deal with all these supply chain issues and all these labor issues and all that stuff. And then whatever it is, it is, you know, good. The good news is rents are going up and, um, but so are expenses, but uh, rents are going up faster than expenses, which is good. So you're going to have that. Then you're going to have the people that have, um, that don't have fixed rate debt. That's the next problem. So, you know, there's a reason that that loan is maturing. So, A variable rate. Most of those rate caps, if they bought them at all, because I heard a lot of people didn't buy a rate cap. So anybody who knows what a rate cap is, a year ago you could you could get something at three percent. Let's say you could put a rate cap, but it's just an insurance policy, so the rate doesn't go. A lot of people didn't buy those at the time. We bought them; they were twenty-five grand. Now they're a million bucks to renew. So in just one year. So you know it's just an insurance policy to cap the rate. So it's just a it's just a game of math, right? So and that's just a fee. Yeah, but you just cut the check and lose it, yep. and that's just part of the cost that, of doing that's business. That's one way to, to hedge your rate cap. Yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of, some people bought rate caps, some didn't. The ones that bought them, they're usually a two or three-year maturity. So, you know, let's say they started buying them two years ago. Some of the rate caps are going to be up this year and next year. So that's what, you gotta, what you're going to want to watch. You're going to want to watch the big equity that wants their money back you're going to want to watch debt that's maturing and you're going to want to watch new construction. Those are the three for multifamily. And and the the truth is most of these people they didn't do anything wrong. The market what what changed was, you know, the the supply chain went crazy and the those construction and renovation costs went up. Expenses are going up and uh, interest rates went up. So that drove cap rates down. So the lenders are now doing 50, 55% loan to value. That's all.
1: They want you to come to the table at a time. Yeah.
0: They want to leave a lot
1: of equity, equity in there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, where are you get, you know, are you going on loop net no. for hours looking for deals? How are you finding really good deals right now? Are yeah. these all relationship driven?
0: No, not really. Well, yes and no. They, they, so loop net is uh, a great resource, but not really. Um, it's it's kind of where everything goes when you know, there's, after
1: you buy yeah, it, we get the leftovers. Yeah, everybody. Uh, yeah,
0: I see what you are saying. But um, the, the and there is really no such thing as an off-market deal. So, I, I mean, th- there's there 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 are people that talk are talking to people all the time and say, if you bring me something about this price, I'll consider it. But then what happens is that particular seller just goes out and does a does a BOV anyway, and you know, and puts it out to bid. If you've got a group of investors like like we would, let's say. You know, you wouldn't want to do a, um, you know, off market deal. You, the right thing to do is to go out and put it out to market, you know, because on on one push of a button, if we, if you list it with like CBRE, it goes to five, six, 7,000 people, you know, and that you want that, you want that kind of, you know, you want that um, to happen for your investor group. And uh, yeah, it's so, like
1: almost your fiduciary responsibility right. to market it yeah. as hard as you can.
0: So, so we play in that arena. So, so we have a full-time uh, acquisition department. We have analysts in-house and all that. And what does your team look like? Yeah, we've got about 300 roughly. Uh, that's including our property management company. So we have a development company, a renovation company, um, construction company, and the property management company are our, our four main big businesses. And majority of the people are in the Property management company, but our corporate office is maybe fifty, sixty people. Are hundred. you running all this?
1: You 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 hired a CEO to? Yeah, know. yeah.
0: We've got a CIO, CMO, COO.
1: You know all the C's. Just curious. I mean, give, give, this, this is me being selfish. So I, I want to know how to scale.
0: Um, give me a ballpark range. What are we paying some of these people? Depends on who they are. So um, you know, somebody really, really good that's um, strategic. You know, you're you're going to give them. Uh, in the mid twos, probably as a salary and then probably some kickers for performance. Are you cutting in
1: the, on them on any of the equity of any of yeah, these deals?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a like a vesting deal where they have to be there a while and um, you know, six years in order to participate on the I give up uh GP side of, of the okay. house for sure. And I mean that would keep you know good talent yeah, around if, yeah. if you're
1: out there building yeah. billion dollar empire. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, yeah. They're so, like, hey, and, can and, I take a ride with you?
0: And honestly, you know, the the people who are in that game, that's their next step they're they're already high paid somewhere they're already killing it somewhere you know and and uh you know if they're performing you know you have to you have to come up you have to come with a deal for them to to, to move over where do you find talent like this oh. is
1: are you stealing them from other people
0: like yeah anybody, somebody's having regrettable turnover and you're any, yeah you're anybody scoring? that's doing um a good job is is employed So, you know, it's pretty much, uh, yeah, you have to identify them. And they're never, ever, ever, you know, on a resume somewhere. They're always working somewhere, you know, really high up and they're producing somewhere. So it's a big loss for somebody. Um, And that's why culture is so important too. Because like we just hired a guy that is our CIO and he was in Dallas. And, um, you know, he did uh, 50,000 units of acquisition. So he was head of acquisitions for this big group out of Dallas, uh, big, big, very, very uh, good company. And, um, you know, and so in order to get somebody like that, uh, and when he started, they had 5,000. So, you know, so he he orchestrated the whole thing, uh, you know, him and a whole bunch of other people. So in order to attract somebody like that, it's a four to six month negotiation you know, it's, it's back and forth with attorneys. It's, it's, you know, profit sharing, it's, you know, GP LP it's, it's, you know, succession plan stuff, you know, it's all of that because um, he's probably in his early forties just slate it up to that point. And he's looking for a home, an anchor, a way to take it to the next level. You know, he's probably made, you know, half a million to a million a year um you know with everything over the year but but he he wants to take it to the next level whatever that is for him and so so you, you know that's the kind of deal you got to cut for that person what what
1: does your day, daily routine kind of look like let's step out of the real estate thing for a minute just how, how does a successful person like yourself operate Are you? So many of our listeners reach out and they ask us how they can get involved in my actual real estate deals. Our investment firm specializes in finding deeply discounted properties, acquiring them, renovating, stabilizing both single family and multifamily properties all over the United States. That's why we're so excited to share with you clevercapitalfund.com. Now, if you have some investment capital and you want to deploy it and receive double digit returns back by real estate, then visit our website and see which fund is right for you. We have both equity Funds and we have debt funds where you just get paid out every month like clockwork. All you got to do is visit www.clevercapitalfund.com today to learn more. You know, like you're doing a bunch of meetings every single day. Are you? Are you running this? Are you Elon Musk? Everybody, get your ass in the office. We're doing (laughs) this in person. None of this remote BS. Like, how do you operate each day? How much is protected? private time versus like, Hey, I'm all in. Somebody asked me one time when I was a lot younger, you know, how often you know, how often do I work? And my answer was always 24 seven because that was my energy at that time. Now it's a little bit different. Yeah.
0: It's very different for me. I, I, you know, it's funny. Like, so my actual company I run on Tuesdays, that's it. So I'm on the EOS platform uh Entrepreneur Operating System, that that we, we've been on that for three, four years now. So I run a 90-minute executive meeting. I run a, uh, a, actually, I don't run the investment committee meeting. Our, our head of acquisitions does. I, I run a partner meeting. Um, and um, that's pretty much my Tuesday. So from there, if it's set up correctly with the right KPIs and the right goals, like right quarterlies and annuals, you know, that should be all you need. You can do you can run your whole operation from, from one day. I mean it like if yeah. you set it up correctly, first of all, like like um my 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 regional property directors, I've been having meetings with them one hour. They get five minutes, they get five minute updates. Um, so I have seven of them. And it's they, like
1: take your information, make it concise, and hit me with it in five minutes. I'm
0: like, well, they're all on one call, all on yeah. Zoom. Yeah. So they're all up like the Brady Bunch sitting up there, you know, and I'm like, okay, you first. And they're like, I'm like, give me, uh, give me your biggest challenge and give me your biggest win. That's it. I write down all the challenges and they go around the table. And then we have like 20 minutes to be able to talk about the challenges. Sometimes I have to do that offline. So you're almost masterminding them. You're like,
1: listen, we're gonna we're gonna get right at the biggest yes, things. That's it. And then everybody's gonna pile in, dog pile. And, hey, let's solve this. Right I leave
0: now. them to I leave them to do their thing. I give them the support they need from the corporate office. I hear about that if it's not there. Uh, and it hasn't been there, you know, which t- leads me over to training or leads me over to HR or leads me over to accounting or whatever. And that's what I fix. So I believe that our corporate office is there to support the properties and the investors. And, um, so, you know, so that's how I run that. And, and it's, uh, it's pretty efficient, you know, EOS, um, that entrepreneur operating
1: system is that the Rockefeller Habits book the scaling now, I know Vern uh, Harnish is no, it the Vern Harnish book not, or is no, that a different it's, system? It's
0: kind of like that. It's a little bit different. Um this is but, but by the way in order to set up our you know we do a strategic planning session two days once a year, where we set all this up. So Meaning, like a coach comes in. 100%. And there's a, a qualified
1: yes. EOS coach that you comes in it. and says, listen, we're going to yeah. mo- make some modifications, make sure everything's dialed you in for it. this next year.
0: Yeah. So, what we do in that meeting is, we'll, we'll, you know, so that's one, one day a year, two days, I'm sorry, two days, one time a year. And uh, everyone commits to that. So, in that meeting, our CIO, our CMO, our CFO, our CEO, like all that, and then me and my partner, Ross, and our head of construction. So, we're in there. And in that meeting, we look at our one year, three year, five year, and 10 year goals. And then we set up everything in quarterly goals. So in that you know, literally everyone's got a quarterly goal and this is all facilitated by somebody. And then we flush out what we call IDS, which is, um, you know, identify, discuss, solve. So whatever that might be. And that list could be 30, 40, 50 things, you know, and everybody's got them. And then we just, you know, we, we, we just say, okay, which one's the most important? One, two, three, we solve. And we're just solving, 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 but we're keeping everyone on track on their quarterly goals. And that's how we run the whole business. I love that. Now, what, what do you pay for a consultant like that to come in? Eight grand a day.
1: So 16 Gs? Yeah, I think, I think uh, I, yes, I think that's about what it Eight, is. Uh, for two days uh, yeah. in, in office. And then is there other fees throughout the year?
0: No, no, no. There's a, I, there probably is a fee for the software. They have all, it's called Traction Tools. Yeah. Oh, Traction.
1: And, that was the book I was thinking Yeah. Traction. Yeah. Gino Whitman. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He's a, the y- reason P- I'm flushing this out guy. because I
1: think this is really important. When, when people are, you know, a lot of people listen to this at different levels, but like, it's like I got to this point, you know, I'm a real estate guy. I start, Real estate. I get good at real estate, and then I'm like, I'm going to start an education company. Is like the death of all entrepreneurs because we think we could do everything. I don't know anything about education, but I get into education. It starts scaling. It starts taking off. Real estate's for for what I was doing in the single family space. It wasn't that many people. Like there was a small team of us, and we did the same thing over and over and over. Education. I woke up one day and I had 85 people working for me, and I'm <laughs> like, I don't know how to do this. You know, I'm a real estate guy that's now playing CEO of an education company. And we were scaling so fast and we were making so much money so quickly that the wheels were falling off as fast as I was making sales. Like, and I, my whole philosophy in the beginning was sales cures everything, just fucking make money and I'm going to figure it out. But then I started, I started doing dumb shit, like throwing money at problems versus really like figuring out like, okay, I got to step back and like get plugged into a system. So it took me to the point where everything was breaking and I was actually go starting to Fail yep before I read Vern Harnish's book or yep. started thinking about bringing in really good consultants, yep. getting plugged into a system, that's why I wanted to kind of unpack that because uh, it gave you this framework that made it easy for everybody to get behind, and
0: yeah, it's obviously it, working. it's hard, but by the to your point, as an entrepreneur. You don't know how to do any of this. I didn't know how to hire a CMO, a CFO. I didn't even know what a CFO did. You know, like all that stuff. You have to break through all those things. And then you have to find people. What I found is that there's a lot of really smart people out there um, that um, can help if you let them, right? And um, you could go crazy with consultants too. But uh, for for me, you know, the EOS came out of the YPO EOM you know uh, arena and um, you know, and a lot of, a lot of people uh, had, had used it. Uh, we kind of st- uh, stood back and kind of waited to see which one we wanted. And we, that's the one we jumped on. It's been, it's been good. It's not perfect, yeah, but it's pretty darn close, you know, and we're, we, we kind of run it a little bit modified, but, but to your point now, everything, everything should happen in the 90 minutes. What, what can kill a company, in my opinion, there's a lot of things, are the side BS? You know the side emails, the side chatter, the side this, the side that, the side that. So, so you have to get disciplined. You have to say, listen, let's bring that up on Tuesday. That's it. You know, hey, da da, this is going on. I got this thing happening over. Here. Okay, bring it up on Tuesday. We'll make it an IDS. We'll discuss it as a team. Because what happens is, I'll talk to you about something. And what then does I've, IDS stand for? Uh, yeah, identified. Uh, oh yeah. Discuss solve That's and so, right. the the you know and, and so what happens is. Uh, something that could be simple, especially in a big company can get super political, you know? Mm. So I was just bring it in. Like, like one of the things that, that I was pissed off about was our, we had a company that was doing all our rent, um, figuring out our rents on all our properties. And I didn't like them. They, well, they, they weren't doing a good job. So I would rent a, I would, we would renovate a unit and, and they, and the manager would tell the manager what to rent it for. And it was always below market. So I got pissed and I got, anyway, so, Rather than me attack the company and get into all these details, I just brought it into that bigger picture. So I said, listen, this is the problem, you know, and then everyone's discussing it. And as you know, it's better off the more people you have looking at something and looking at it very differently, um, you know, is better. And then typically, whatever I thought I was going to do comes out a little bit better you know, by having more input on it. So I just save everything for that 90, 90 minute meeting, no matter what it is, even if I'm pissed about something or an email or a vendor or whatever, even a project, I just bring it up and force it into the system. I force it into the system yeah. Then everyone's dealing with it at once. Cause it does affect accounting. It does affect marketing. It does affect HR. It does affect renovations, you know, like it all affects everybody. Um, and so Instead of trying to do all things, you know, in a silo. And so, so it, it does take a little bit of work to put everything in there. You mentioned, is your partner Ross? Yeah.
1: How long have you guys been partners? About 22 years. Okay. So I've been partners with Bryant. Um, we've been best friends for well over 15 years. And, and now we're on our fifth year, pretty much. We're going into our fifth year being partners has been fantastic. You know, yep. it's a great relationship when you really know somebody and you're doing it for more than money. I yep. care deeply about his family. Yep. He, he knows everything about me and it, it really is a bigger relationship than just business. <clears throat> um, how many of the people you started with are still with you?
0: Gosh, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. So um, I don't even know, you know, it's, it feels like most of them, I mean, we don't have a lot of turnover in a corporate office. So I would say most, but you know, some retired, like, you know, like we've had. I mean, that says a lot, like though, HR, dude, and because
1: people and yeah, not always when you're scaling companies, so the people you start with, the end with.
0: Yeah. I, I find that's usually my fault. So, what I mean by that is, I I think, I think you got to hire slow and fire fast. And I think, um, you know, I think most people do the opposite.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Especially, so what I've experienced is, at first, it's this core little team, right the culture's on point, you're making sales, the energy's on fire, everybody's dialed in and you're you're uh you're nimble and you're um not gritty you're uh it's a word I'm looking for like where you're uh my mind went blank where you you just figure things out right whatever that word is grit gritty yeah that's the only thing that came up for me uh and so you're scrappy, right you're figuring yep. things out and at over time, as you start to make more money, things operationally start to go wrong. So then now you're like, okay, we got to hire somebody to fill that gap. Yeah. So then you, in the beginning, it you can be the person that maybe is involved in that hiring process, the training process, the culture transfer process. But at 30 people is like, for me, that was the moment things started to come apart. Because I, at that point now, I wasn't involved. My... People that were maybe in my management, they were now hiring and they were transferring the culture. And then when we got to 60 or 70 people, then th- it was like down line they were hiring and transfer and it. I lost my voice. Yep. And I lost touch with what was really happening with everybody. And I, the, the wrong, the wrong people were in the wrong seats of the bus, but everybody saw the money. Right? And this is where things started to fall apart for me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I keep, how do I create alignment? And what I realized is as a company, it was very clear what we did. It was really clear how we did it. And like Simon Sinek says, you know, eventually you figure out why you do it. Yep. The part I was missing, and this is the part that I want to drive towards is what's in it for the people that you employ, your team members, if they do it alongside with you, if they, if you could put that... Really talented person in the right seat of the bus, give them the resources they need and get alignment. That's where the velocity comes from. That's where the longevity comes from. And you stop with the culture problems. You stop with regrettable turnover and people stealing your, your best people because they're like, dude, I'm already locked in. Like how you were saying, we spend six months flushing all this out so we don't have a
0: divorce. Right. You're putting in the work, higher, yeah, slow. In the front and then yeah. if it doesn't work out hey in, in the front end and we've we, we've certainly made mistakes even then but i think you know what i what we try to do with the eos model really helps so one of the things that that we have in eos is called an accountability chart so in the accountability chart it's literally just a flow chart you know which a lot of people don't really look at too often they do it every once in a while we look at it a lot so i'm always taking a look at like my CMO, as an example, which, uh, by the way, was at Tony Robbins for 10 years. Um, and so, so, so like, her, you know, how many direct reports does she have? Does she have five or eight? It's a big difference. And of those five, what are they very specifically? So, you know, so I'm looking at very, very so, so when, I, when I go into my accountability chart, I'm looking at exactly what the person's doing each and every day, um, and they know. And then actually, it becomes very simple. And then so so what I, we we're, we had the same problem, Cody, where we had another layer in there, right? So what happens is people, and they're well intended, they hire more people because they think they need more people, right? And, uh, and or they hide behind software. That's another one, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, so. What we do is we always are cognizant of our accountability chart. So so we have for me, I have the seven people on my executive team. And that's it for me. That's enough, right? And and then they have five to seven people under them, and that, you know, and, and so we just push this all the way down, where where things go sideways uh, is where people take some of their best people, or well, we've done it, we've made this mistake, um, where you take somebody who's really killing it, they've been with you ten or fifteen years, and you just keep loading them up with stuff, you know, and then they burn out. So, you know, so that's part of my job is to make sure that that doesn't happen too. So, so you just got to make sure that, that things are really clear and the lines are drawn. Like, <clears throat> and then we have another thing that, you, you know, there can't be two people accountable f- for something period ever, not one. So, so if some, if somebody's, um, yeah, somebody's in charge of financing, there can only be one. In our whole company. I don't it like it
1: when they can point at each other and say, I thought they were doing it. So this.
0: that's what happens, yeah. right? So, you know, so, so that's a, you know, that's, those are habits that people get into. Um, and we're like, sorry, no, no, no. Like, the, whose responsibility is this? Whose responsibility is YouTube? Ownership. Period. Like, okay, it's this person. Okay. So then you sit that person down. Do you understand that your job is YouTube? No one else. Yes. Okay. Now, so it's clear. It goes on their accountability chart. Now you can manage to it. You know, and and what happens is a lot of time is when you bifurcate some of the some of the things that people do, which they like, collaboration doesn't work. You know, you can't have two or three people responsible for accounting or two or three people responsible. I think that's hiring. great
1: great advice. Yeah, yeah, extreme ownership. It's it's yeah. like you know where the buck stops.
0: That's right, and it's it's really helpful too
1: when you manage. What was. If you think back, I'm sure you got a lot of war stories. What were some of the bigger mistakes or things that jump out at you that you're like, oh, I cannot believe this happened? Because, I mean, I've been sued. I've had employees sue me. Yeah. Uh, You know, just the craziest stories. Yep. You know, people, I had one lady that was selling reptiles out of the basement as a side hustle business. Yep. You know, I, I walked in one day and there was a, a, a guy making margaritas at seven in the morning, you know, just getting blitzed uh, at one of the sales guys, I came in one time and there was like five midgets and 40 farm animals in our building. It was like the Wolf of wall street. All of a sudden I'm like, what is going on in here? And <laughs> it was like, this is such a liability to me. Ding dongs. But the sales guys were wild. You know, they didn't give a shit. Um, and, uh, I'd so, love, I'd love to know like maybe
0: some of the crazier so stories. Many, of, like, I mean, I feel like, like uh, looking back, it's like the, the show hangover, you know, oh, yeah. like it's that like literally same one, kind two, of stuff, with
1: a, a faced hat
0: and a tiger. <laughs> and then, I you know it's it's true like uh, all that stuff literally all of that stuff you know we have 10 right now we have 10,000 tenants and you can imagine and we I can't, we bought in so many properties and had so much stuff going on so many people so many businesses some that we started some we closed all that stuff there's just so many you, you know and they're just learning lessons and I think that's the the key you got to you got to you got to look down you got to look back and see where the system broke down and I think a lot of times people they point out, you know, so, ah, you know, well, I always look in, I'm like, okay, so what did I miss? How did I miss that? Like, and and how can I not miss that again? And, um, and that's what I do. And, you know, I think a lot of times that, that, um, you know, some of the least effective leaders, they point out, but I think there's a lesson in everything, you know, even, uh, by the way, this is, this is going to be an interesting run where we've got here. You know, we just went through, let's say 10 years of a rising market. Everybody is not used to what's next, so you don't really m- learn much, in my opinion. You know, you 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 consume a lot, and and uh, but there's not a lot to the, the, you know when everybody's making money and the salespeople and everybody's you know uh, high fiving and you're closing deals and the lenders and the investors and all that stuff are making money everybody's just happy as can be, but there's not, there's not a lot of, there's no pain. And you only really learn through pain, in my opinion. Um, You don't really learn a lot. You think, ah, we'll just do that again. Rinse and repeat, but it's not always rinse and repeat. How bad do you think it's
1: going to get? Robert says, we got a three times crash. We got the currency crash. We got the stock market crash and we got the real estate crash.
0: You agree with that? So I was just at a three day event with Robert, literally, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, and was on stage with them a lot. Uh, and during that period of time with a whole bunch of really smart people like Jim Rickards and George Gammon and Andy Sheckman. And, and, um, so I got a chance to really dig into this whole thing and really listen from their perspective. Um, I do think there are some things that we need to be concerned about. Um, the interest rates, you know, I, I got I'm going to chat with George about this, George Gammon. I think the Fed is going to continue to raise rates this year because of the inflation. He thinks that there aren't because of what he, the inverted yield curve, you know, the two year, the two year treasury is, is higher than the 10, which is not normal. You know, normally a, you know, a short term, short term, uh, uh, cash is usually doesn't have a premium over longer, you know? So, so, um, so that'll be interesting to see what, what happens if, if the Fed, Um, If the Fed continues to raise rates, then I think that we could be in, you know, uh, it could really be a problem. And, um, you know, we're already seeing, I mean, even this morning I was at the gym and a buddy that I saw uh, that I knew really well has a mortgage company out in Gilbert, uh, 19 people. So it's not a huge one, but he shut it down, you know, and moved back to his house. He's been in the business, you know, 30 years, right? him Him and a processor and an admin. He goes, that's all I need right now. Um, the lease ended. He closed his shop. So you know that's happening. You know, as you know, um, and so you're starting to see this already. And um, you, you know, consumption's going to go down. I think GDP is going to go down. I think we're going to hit a recession. I do. Um, what Robert's talking about is something a little different. Uh, he's he's really hung up on the um, on the BRICS deals. You know, yeah. the, uh, uh, the Brazil, Russia, uh, India, China, and uh, South America. Uh, What do they call the bricks? They're all upset with the dollar. So you you know, and and you would like like if if there's some there's way more dollars outside of the U.S. than there are inside. So you know, if 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 you're uh, China and you're buying oil from me and I'm paying you in U.S. dollars and I'm inflating it at home and using it as a weapon, uh, like we did against Russia, you know, there's a lot going on. And so so. I think that what they're talking about is that reserve currency and maybe losing that reserve currency, which is the whole point of the Brexit. So that's what Robert's focused on. And I think you got to take notice on that stuff. You know, I don't know how quickly it doesn't seem to me like it's going to happen very quickly, but um, you know, then you got that central bank digital currency issue and the Bitcoin thing. And, you know, and the failing of the banks, which by the way, if you look at, um, you know, Silvergate bank, and, which I did business with. They used to be a real estate bank and they switched to a crypto bank. Um, and you got um, Silicon Valley Bank, let's say. And what was the other one? Federal, first federal, I think it was. Also a crypto bank. So why would the government let two crypto banks fail? You know, I mean, so you start to piece this stuff together and kind of makes sense. You know, the, fed, federal, the federal government's not going to let, you know, crypto <laughs> slip out of their hands. They're going to create a, you know, federal digital currency, perhaps. At least that's what a lot of people think. I don't know, but um, in the meantime, the real estate. Um, I think that we're going to have a real issue with um, inflation. I don't. I think people are getting killed right now, and I don't see how. You know, I was talking to Joseph Wang, who used to be on the on the open markets desk desk at the Fed. Uh, he's speaking at our Limitless Conference in June here in Scottsdale that we're doing, and he said that. Um, He goes, getting from 9% inflation to six, it's not that hard, but it did take nine increases. Think about that. Went from nine to six, nine federal funds increases. That's not very far. So getting from six to two, which is their target, that could be really painful. So he thinks that we could see pretty high inflation for the next couple of years. And so that could be four, five, 6%. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and so if that's the case, then it's going to be a problem for. A long what are we day. at now? We're over we're at, at five. S- we're at six right now. Last time, no, no, no. Season. What's um what's the Fed funds rate at right oh, now? Oh, I think
1: we're right around five. Yeah, five five point two. Um, last time they raised Fed funds rate this aggressively was nineteen ninety four. Yeah, and it's wild to see what happened in nineteen ninety four. You know, interest rates went up three three and a half percent. You know, we had high inflation. It was really hard for them. But the economy's so different now compared to back then. This is why they're really
0: struggling. Yep. A lot different, yeah. I, and I, I, think you know, it's funny. It, it makes sense to me if, if, if you can't give that much money to a, a, an economy or the world, really, from the pandemic and everything, without it being inflationary later. Yeah, we printed out five trillion dollars and right. incentivized people not to produce. Correct. So there's really a worldwide issue, and they're still doing it. They're still they giving out
1: free money, they ERC are. Yep. credits, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's I still know. a lot of stuff happening. There's a there. lot.
0: There's a lot, and and so so I, you know, what we're what we're really dealing with for the for the first time that that I, that I as long as I can remember is that you know we have massive inflation in a lot of countries, and you know we have recessions and things going on around the world. So question is when, you know, when are they going to call ours? You know, a lot of people think we're already in it, but regardless, um, you know, I don't know that I've ever been through a worldwide recession. Um, and so that could be an issue, um, probably way over my pay scale, you know, cause then, I mean, how many units do you have?
1: 10,000. Yeah. You built a financial wall around you You're, yeah. I, I, I feel like, look, maybe they go to digital currency next 10 years or something. Uh, you look at like what the billionaires are doing. They're buying farmland. Yeah. All the major corporations, they're buying the real estate. They are. They're controlling the food. They're controlling the shelter. They're th- those, that my, and this is why I love this podcast. And I'm just like, guys, get your shit together. Real estate is such a great vehicle. There's so many ways to play this game and get involved and start somewhere, but just get involved because at the end of the day, if you can own these assets and you can build even a small financial wall around you and your family, at least you have something. That's right. Versus then being a fucking ostrich and just burying your head in the sand and just hoping somebody else comes and bails us out. And so uh, for you, I'm like, yeah, you're kind of good, bro. You're good. You're not. I'm not. I'm coming to you for (laughs) for help. But, you know, I got the guns. I have a lot. Right, I got a fucking arsenal <laughs> going on over here. My friends have a lot of guns. I so do it's too. like, yeah. you know, one way or another, I'm getting fed. Guns, gold, and grub. There you go. Yep. Um, is there anything that scares the shit out of you right now besides the economy? No. Well, I think Biden probably, to be honest. I, I mean, I just don't understand now, is his it, moves. Is it Biden, a decision he's going to make, or Biden's going to drop dead and, and we're going to have our first female black president that has the weirdest laugh
0: The funny ever. thing is, is I don't, I'm not really affected too much about what's president's in from a real estate standpoint, yeah. you know, I, I mean that sincerely, but when I see him, cut, you know, cutting off like the Keystone pipeline and, and bolting out of Afghanistan and some other things like that, I'm like, what is happening? You know, those are, those are bizarre. So. No know, respect right now. Correct. We don't have a right, lot right. of strength
1: yeah. and respect. Yeah. At least yeah. from what we can see.
0: So we, you know, I, I think the and I'm not concerned about this, but you know you start to see cities that I used to love and I grew up in Seattle and Portland. Um, I used to go to San Francisco all the time. You know they're scary now, right? These are these are. I mean Seattle's. I grew up in Seattle, so I'm like. Man, I visited a friend horrible. that has a one of the nicest
1: houses in Beverly Hills, and there was like a, a an encampment going on across yeah. the street, and they couldn't remove them. Yep. It was wild to me, like yeah. drug needles and all kinds of stuff. And it's like these are the richest, yeah. of the richest people, and they're, they're, they're they just yep. And they would get robbed, and yep. there was nothing you could really do. They'd get re-released pretty quickly, you know. So that's the stuff that like,
0: drives me nuts, right? That. So uh, and there's not a lot I can do about it, but um, uh,
1: that's that's kind of what I'm watching. Build, build a financial wall around you and your yeah. family, and don't worry about gas prices. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. and I don't worry about yeah. gas prices. I, I, I don't. I, I mean, it doesn't really affect me. Really? I mean, it's more money, but, you know, it affects my people that work for me and that pisses me off.
1: Yeah, that is a struggle. That is a big struggle. Yeah. I was one of the few and you guys are welcome, all my team members that are helping produce this podcast. You guys are all welcome because I just keep giving you fucking raises as inflation comes up because I'm like that guy because, like, I really am concerned for my team members and I rolled in last year when inflation hit 8% and I gave everybody a 10% raise that day because I was just like, look, we're not going to play this game. I'm not going to have you guys stressing out because you can't afford to get to work.
0: Yep, we did the same thing. It's
1: wild, man. You have to. Yeah, you have to take care of your people. Yeah, Because they'll take care of you if you if you play the long game with them, which is why I'm hoping you guys can hurry the fuck up and make me really rich so I can stop working. Greg, squeak. You got me? All right. Um, all right. So let let's just kind of end on a little bit of not a not a not a low note. Let's let let's end on a high note. Yeah. Right? So um uh, look, this game is tough. There's a lot of obstacles and challenges along the way. You know, how do you think about coaching up like somebody who's getting into this space? You know, how do you develop that millionaire mindset? How do you have the strength to bounce back? You're, you're talking about all these instances, so many more than you can even count. It takes a lot of strength yeah. to do that. Were you just hard headed, or is this like, hey man, I know there's certain success principles. I I live and die by these things. If people just mirror this, they're gonna they're gonna win.
0: Yeah, like well, like you. You know, you you really you if you mirror what the successful people are doing, you know, there's a the reason that they're successful. They're no different, as you know. Like I know, I know lots and lots of people that started with nothing, you know, and came from really uh, much much worse circ- circumstances than I came from, and they're super successful because they followed the a system, and and that's it, you know. And some of it is mindset, but the, the truth is, when it's the hardest. We, we just were there. So it's hard when everyone's out there doing it. Like like When when money seems to come really simply and easily, um, that's actually when it's hardest, in my opinion, because there's more competition. When it's easiest is when it doesn't look like it. So in other words, when things are going to hell in a handbasket. So I'll give you an example. In 2008, when everything hit the fence, you know, banks were taking on water, you know, and they were, they were clearly taking loans back and all this stuff, all this toxic real estate and all these loans were going back all over the place. And, and everybody's holding onto their capital, trying to figure out what to do. And, uh, you know, everybody's equity evaporated. I was like, oh, this is going to be perfect because, so I went up to Canada and I put together a huge, uh, financial, uh, fund and started raising money. So glad you're saying this. The RSP. Yeah. The RSP, which is the retirement savings plan, which is our 401k. And I put together a hundred million dollar fund and I started buying apartments in Texas because the dollar, you know, you know, a lot of people don't think about the dollar between the two countries, but you should, you know? And and so all of a sudden the Canadians were going, Oh my God, the U S is on sale. So I just went up there and solved the problem. So I went up you know, figured it out. And we that's, you know, that got me through the first three or four years until things started, you know, the bank started releasing their purse strings again, and they started lending again. hundred million dollar funds, no joke.
1: Yeah. That's a big boy fund. Yeah. Was that the biggest fund you've done up to that time?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 But I, I bought, you know, I put those deals together individually, but we went up there, you know, you imagine, you know, the, 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 the U S was on sale. A lot of people from Canada come and vacate, you know, or, or vacation, you know, in the, in the United States and vice versa. So, so it's just a matter of understanding currency and stuff like, so, so back to the study thing, you know, and I'll tell you, one of the things as a kid, I grew up near the Canadian border up, up North of Seattle. And, um, I remember I used to take us, you know, coins or dollars, and I used to cash them for the Canadian coins and I would go back and it was like a 20 or 30%, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, you're I was creating money, you're just creating money. I was like, yeah, this is yeah. awesome. You know, I'd go up there with my dad and I'd bring as much cash as I could. And I'd come back with 20 or 30% more, depending on what the exchange rate and, and along the border, everybody would take quarters, you know, they all be mixed in with Canadian quarters and us quarters. So it was like, awesome. Um, so but I always remembered that. So I always kind of watched the currency. Um, and and when currency got pretty close to the same, the US and Canadian currency got um, almost identical. And so uh, so they when they invested, we invested in in deals that were 30, 40, 50 cents on the dollar. Then when the dollar got stronger, then all of a sudden they made even more. So they made money on their currency. And because when I, you know, when I was giving their money back, I was giving them to them in U.S. dollars that had gotten stronger. Um, and in addition to that, they got the, you know, the 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 the, uh, the upside of the real estate itself. So that was a win. The currency thing was a win. I could have never projected that. But I knew I was buying, again, buying on cash flow. So, you know, what Canadian is going to want to buy pro- properties in Texas? I still own those, by the way. And, you know, what, what Canadian is not going to want to buy those? And um, you know, with, with, with their strong
1: dollar. And so it was a brilliant move. Yeah. I did the same thing. Much smaller scale, <laughs> much, <laughs> much smaller scale. When I heard you say a hundred million, I was like, I'm not even going to share. <laughs> I went out to Canada and raised a couple hundred grand. Uh, but, but no, that was true, would, right? I, it, yeah, no, I actually raised probably a few million bucks, but it was one of, it was the only thing I can see in my limited knowledge. I I flew to Toronto and threw an event that said, come to my, come to my, hotel ballroom at the Hilton Sheridan Inn or whatever it was. And uh, a bunch of Canadians showed up and I convinced them to sit, wire me money, no contracts, nothing to come buy re- foreclosed real estate in Arizona. Cause I was down at the foreclosure auction and I wanted to bid Yep, and I couldn't believe how strong their dollar was against ours. And it was a power move. And I got my first probably seven or eight Canadians to trust me enough to just, cause there's no keys. When you buy at auction, there's no rules. There's no keys. Like it takes right. a month or two to get your little trustee's deed in the mail. So it was really built on trust. And my whole pitch was this guys, you don't know me. You don't trust me yet, but I'm telling you real estate down there is on sale for 30, 40 cents on the dollar. I'm going to be your guy to go down there and do it. I need you to wire me money just on pure faith that I'm going to go to the auction and buy these properties. And then I'm going to renovate them for you. I'm going to put a tenant in. I'm going to mail you the deed when it comes in the mail and I'm going to uh, you know, t- turn over to some property management and we did hundreds and hundreds of houses like that from one seminar yep. one day just trying yep. to gamify that well, currency I did the, exchange I did the same
0: thing so uh, brilliant in Calgary and, and Vancouver we even got George Foreman to come he brought his grill and the George Foreman grill <laughs> and, you know all the stuff it was basically a seminar in Canada yeah, uh, brilliant. With, uh, for raising money uh, I wish I thought US bigger like you though <laughs> well, no, you probably do now, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just an age thing, as you know, once, once you punch through one barrier, that's my whole life been that way. You know, my, my, uh, my, I grew up just probably like you, whereas we can't afford this. Right. And that's, that's exactly what my parents would say almost every time. So you know, I always had to punch through you know, each time. Yeah. Well,
1: I'm definitely thinking bigger now. I'm, we're aggressive. We're getting out of single family. As, as fast as we can and moving over to the multifamily. I want to be able to be on your podcast one day. And be like, yeah, I did my first $100 million fund. All right, let's do cool. that. Hold me accountable to that. Um, any crazy shit you buy, bought with your insane amount of wealth so far? Oh. You just keep buying more apartments with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. You got a
1: private jet. You got yeah. cool cars. You got the, 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 the watch collection. Like, yeah. what, what is your advice that you just like kind of splurge on?
0: Yeah, you know, so everything I buy, I don't finance. <laughs> That's number one. Um, and, um, yeah, you, you, know, it's, it's funny. I, I did all the whole, multiple houses and all that kind of stuff. I pulled back on all that. So, um, because you, know, you just matured. Yeah, I think so. I think I was just, you know, gosh, I'm up here for one month or, you know, you know, I, you know, you're always, and then also it, it, it um, uh, you, you know, it just, it turned into, you know, a, a routine I didn't like, you know what I mean? I wanted to be able to go do a bunch of stuff. Uh, And so, so yeah, I think I just pulled back. Things are a little different for me now. I'm starting to look, um, you know, at life a little bit better, uh, a little different, you know, my my relationship with my friends and family are most more important. My health Mm -hmm. is more important, Uh, you know, and I think sometimes you sacrifice that as, you know, as you're, as you're, you're trying to climb the ladder. Most people Those do. Those kinds of things. Not, yeah, not, uh, uh, We've talked
1: about this in a lot of other podcasts. Yeah. I think there's a, Do you think there's a big correlation between health, wealth, and
0: joy? Right? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you a great story. I, I ended up, um, uh, you know, it's a long story, but I'm actually going to this ranch uh, in two days in Texas where I do a week of personal development. I'm actually going with Kiyosaki. And um, you know, there we learn about consciousness and presence and all that kind of stuff. And that turned, t- you know, t- uh, took me into the Deepak Chopra camp, which I've been hanging out with, and been going to things like that. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, uh, the alternative, you know, to the, you know, you know, uh, you know, crazy stuff. So, so I, 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 uh, I used to, I used to apply all that to business and growth and leadership and company growth and money and all that stuff. And now I'm just pulling back from that. I'm trying to be a little more balanced.
1: Yeah. I do believe that a person can be physically fit, financially fit, spiritually fit, relationally fit. I think it is absolutely possible. You know, it's just intention, right? You you, you make your health an intentional focus, yeah. just like building any other muscle. you you're putting in those reps, you're going to get it. I said this in another podcast, you know, and this is a shocking stat. And I couldn't believe it that one in ten Americans are considered millionaires in America. One one in ten fans. That's a lot. One in twenty five thousand Americans have a six pack. Oh wow! How many of them are millionaires with six packs? Yeah, not many. I am. I'm one. Yeah. I want to be that guy, ripped, rich, and rare. Yeah. I want to be so fucking aggressive towards that goal of being like. I want to set a standard because I really believe that my kids are watching, other people are watching. You might not realize they're watching, but they're watching and you're setting a standard. And how many wealthy people that are chilling at the pool with the rolly on, but they're just totally let themselves go. And they're, you know, they got diabetes or whatever the hell they're battling. And it's just like,
0: come on, man. Yeah. One of one of the guys that I study with, his name's Rodigal Pollen, and he's a um, world's leading heart transplant guy. So he does 40 a year-ish. Um Cardiologist, obviously, but he has a group that they, they do kidney, liver um, and uh, bone marrow and heart, and so he, he said um, he goes, "Here's the deal, and by the way, he's, he's Eastern Western guy. He said, "You know, I've put hearts in people that that hold emotion. I put them in someone else, and that emotion comes out of them. And I'm like." What? like the heart has memory correct and he's like they're my patients he said he said you know i said how does a person need a heart and he said well sometimes you know everybody wants to say that it's just a health dna genetic but he said the spleen the liver the bone marrow the heart most of that manifests from some kind of anxiety or stress or or something that you haven't cleared from a long time ago that you buried. So it's, it really gets, you know, I don't want to go too deep on this stuff, but it's really interesting if you really start to track it. And this is a guy that does it. It's not some guy I watched on YouTube. This is a buddy of mine that I literally, you know, was, was having a glass of wine with two days ago. You know, this is, and it's, it'll blow your mind. And he, it, it, you know, he said, um, you know, you know, the, uh, you really need to, not only be healthy from a food and exercise standpoint, but you need to be healthy from a stress standpoint and how you carry stress.
1: I love that you're doing some really intensive week-long personal development type retreats because I think it's important for high-level entrepreneurs to shut shit down every once in a while and just go deeper, you know, work on, you know, I did this last year. So last year was the worst year of my life, financially best year of my life, emotionally worst year of my life by far by far. My mom died of cancer. I'm going through a divorce, had to tell the kids moving out. Like the whole thing was really challenging. Just the worst of the worst emotionally. Um, now it's the best year so far. It's, it's been because I went and put in so much personal development work and went deeper and I had to shut everything off. And I, I went to psychological counseling services in Scottsdale and I went for an entire week, phenomenal men's retreat and just went deep, had, had, open heart surgery on my inner child. Yeah. It was like 10,000 pounds lifted off yeah. my chest. And I, I know a lot of men that walk around and they don't cry. They're not in touch They're They can compartmentalize and bury like the best of them. You know, they, they're really good at just hiding their pain or using their pain for achievement or they, it comes out in the worst ways, addiction, drugs, porn, alcohol, whatever that is for them. And, uh, you know, it's, it really is important. If you want to level up, I never understood. How do you get to the next level? And what I realize is you can't if when you're driving in traffic, somebody cuts you off and you just fucking lose it. Or you react certain ways because of your subconscious programming that you've been holding on from the pain of your childhood or your environment or your experiences. But when you really clear through that and you internalize it, and you own it and you work through it, all of those weird reactions you start getting control over and you start to like slow down almost on a cellular level and you just mellow the fuck out for a little bit. And you're like, okay, I can handle this at, at much better. And honestly, Ken, I've cried more. I cry all the fucking time now. Dude, church music comes on and it's like instantaneous. <laughs> I'm like, ah. you know, everybody's looking at me. I don't care. Snot bubbles and everything. I think it's great. But it took me 44 years, a complete implosion to finally... Get, go deep and work on that shit. So I love this. I want to learn more about what it is you're doing. Yeah, well, I, I think it's great. I think
0: the the ego's a a ego is the enemy, man. Like you know, every one of us is uh, just playing a a movie that we've lived. That's all. It's our own. You know, doesn't mean it's right. You know, so, you know, I think once you back up from that and you realize that, you know, just because you grew up one way or you did something or, you know, the, the, you, you can you can literally unwind some of that stuff and, and take a look at it. I think a lot of times, you know, people's egos keep them right in place. Would you go back and change anything? Oh, gosh, I think I probably wish I would have been a little open minded as a younger man, you know, perhaps. And um you know, maybe got into some of this stuff a little bit earlier. Uh, the other thing is I think being conscious and being aware makes me a better leader. You know, I don't think I listened like I probably should have when I was in my twenties or thirties. Um, and, um, yeah, that's what I, I work on now. And the truth, the truth is like, I, I was talking to actually Kim Kiyosaki the other day and she's like, she said she was sitting with a the, uh, the friend of hers and, um, And the the uh, she said all I did was ask questions the whole time of this lady, and she just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, and And then they got up and left. And she's like, "Oh my God, I love you!" And Kim said she didn't ask one question about me. She doesn't even know who I am. So I think that's pretty normal for a lot of people. Yeah, Yeah. you know. So it's interesting to me. I think if 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 you can just be a little more aware, a little more conscious, and um, you know, and I think a lot of people. Are, um, they have a lot of good things to say and a lot of them are in pain and they have a lot of stuff going on. So
1: deal with it. Come on, man. Step your game up and go deep. Have that open heart surgery on your inner child. Get the professional help you need. Get around other people that are doing that kind of personal development journey, and and attack it like you attack yeah. business. Yeah. You'll you'll be a better man for it, a be- yeah. better entrepreneur yeah. for it.
0: And then things start to fall in the line too. Like that's what
1: I was driving towards. Yeah, I I now understand what the next level is because I can I can feel the opportunities are opening in front of me now that I had my own emotional roadblocks that I couldn't even see them even if they were there. Uh, all right, I end the podcast. Well, first off, tell me about Limitless real fast before we end the podcast with the question I ask all my guests. Uh, so, Limitless is an event. You guys do it what once a year? Yes, we do it in June in Scottsdale. June what? June fifteenth to the seventeenth. Okay, and it's designed on, as a wealth building, yeah, it's, event. Yeah. Or, or apartments. What are you guys focusing
0: on? Yeah, it's it's really not a real estate event. It's it's more about I I think what happened was my partner Tarl and I, you, you know, we're We both made a lot of money and we're both trying to figure out like, what do we do with it? And so we have this, these networks and these groups of people um, that, you know, are all doing different things. And so like you, you know how you spread your money around. So Mm -hmm. the goal was to try to make an event where there's lots of people with lots of different views on lots of different things that are successful. So not necessarily just real estate, even though there'll be a bunch of real estate people there. And then of course you bring that, economic component in there, you know, and that's where Kiyosaki comes in and George Gammon comes in and um, Joseph Wang, they'll all be there. And just to talk about where they think things are, things are going and, you know, we'll have 50 speakers. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a big event, couple thousand people. Uh, it was a huge success. We sold out last year and um, yeah. And so, you know, like, like you, so if they wanted to, to get up,
1: tickets. Where would they go?
0: They would go to uh, limitlessexpo.com. And, um, you know, it's all there and, and, uh, you know, and there's a VIP experience, I'm guessing yep. the whole, the whole thing.
1: Yep. You can, all of that. Yep. Look, all, my listeners just buy VIP. Yeah. They yeah. don't, they don't fuck around in the back. Okay. <laughs> they, they leave five-star reviews. They yep. follow Ken at dot Go to what was it? Limitless. Yeah,
0: limitlessexpo.com. They
1: go there, they buy the VIP. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So it's I got you, Ken. Thank you. I don't don't even want a
1: five star review. Just go buy a VIP ticket and show up because I think it's going to be important that you uh, surround yourself with that type of energy moving into 2023. The world's very uncertain. There's a lot of chaos going on out there, but it doesn't have to be chaotic for you. Look, this is a zero sum economy. Money's not leaving the ecosystem, it's just changing hands.
0: That's actually true. Pick
1: what side of the, yeah. uh, the equation you want to be on, baby. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I know real estate's overwhelming. I know in the beginning it's scary. I know there's a lot of pieces of information and it can feel like you're drinking from a fire hose. But when you have great mentorship and you're learning from people that have actually done, I mean, how many times in your life do you get to be around and get mentored by somebody that has 10,000 units, billions of dollars worth of real estate? Like never, this never happens, but we could do it in business if you just get out of your own way and cut the fucking check, right? It drives me crazy when people want a discount or are scared to cut the check. I'm like, why do you want a discount? Do you know the amount of sacrifice I've made to build this business or to learn these skills and you want a fucking discount? Like, what what are you really saying to me right now? That all my sacrifice and hard work and all those challenges and all the times I got sued or pushed around or beat up or passed over or bullied doesn't fucking matter? All those failures that were trial through error, it doesn't matter. You just want me to, you know, like, what are you entitled? And it drives me crazy. And the other thing drives me crazy is like, oh, my wife said, uh, I I probably shouldn't spend money on that. <laughs> it's like, well, your wife's going to love the new fucking purse collection when you're balling out in the real estate game, right? She's not going to be complaining about that when her, when, when, when her shoe collection is on point and all her friends are bragging about, you know, she's bragging about all the fun trips you guys have gone on in the last year. It's like, look, get out of your own way. Use money as a tool to go further faster. That's right. You know, so show up to the events yeah. like this. The biggest needle movers in my life have been
0: events. Live events are where it's at, man. By far. Like, you can. You, there's so much you can learn. I, I always... I I go as you know, like I I go. I'm just sitting there. I'm I'm I, I went to this one that Deepak Chopra had just a month ago. I was at every single thing. You know, everybody's out in the lobby or whatever. I'm like, it's all about health, right? I'm like, I'm in there taking notes, writing stuff, meeting the guys. You know, trying to get to know everybody. Uh, it there's so much to learn, you know, and I wanna uh, I wanna always just refine what I'm trying to learn, and that's what limitless is. It's these are top of the game people, all of them, and they're not big name speakers. A lot of them. These are full-on baller entrepreneurs. You they're know? really doing the business. Yeah, they're they're yeah. kind of
1: coming out there as a favor
0: to... A shit, thousand percent. Shit, yeah. My buddy who started Love California that. Closets, as an example, like you would never know who he is. You know, he's coming. I'm going to do a, a fireside with him. You know, he sold it a long time ago, but how do you, here's a guy that you can ask questions. Like, how did you, you know, boom, 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 So, So those are the types of people we try to bring. So, you know, the, you know, because those, it's not really a real estate event. It's... a. Uh, it's how do I uh, spread my money around? What, what's the what's the right thing to do next? And and how do I pay as little tax as possible? I have all my tax advisors coming, and 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 they can you know they'll be talking to whoever needs to, uh, um, uh, whoever 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 wants the, uh, to talk to them about things the strategic things that they can do too to keep as much money as they they make. Well, I'm I'm
1: going to be in Florida during that event, but I'd love to send my business partner Brian, Right, Brian? Come on, come on, B. Come we got on, Brian Bryant. listening in. He's in the background yeah. there. My best friend, Brian, business partner, Brian. We did? Oh, good. See, I didn't even know. I was, I, look, I'm supporting you guys all, all around. the
0: best, yeah. How'd you like it? He loved yeah. the event. Yeah. We love the event. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully
1: he, we can get back there again to support, um, you know, and anybody listening to this, go check it out. What's the website?
0: One last time. www.limitlessexpo.com. Man, that's
1: look at me. I'm I'm plugging away over here, guys, because I do, I do believe that it'll move the needle for you and uh, put you in a room full of other players that are intentional, just like you. And uh, at the end of the day, you never know it's and this. is it, It's never the whole thing. It's literally sometimes a, Freaking sentence that somebody says that everything just all of a sudden clicks. And you're like, I'm going to go do that immediately. And the needle for your business moves. And you just keep doing that over and over and over. I've been to hundreds and hundreds of events. I joined insane amount of masterminds. I'm listening to you talk. That's a success principle that a guy that has 10,000 units that now cares about his health is showing up, buying the VIP experience, sitting in the front, taking the notes, not not wasting time out in the lobby. hundred percent. It's like, I'm intentional. I'm present. I'm here to dominate. Yep. That shows you what you should do. Just mirror that. You're going to be very successful as this next uh, major wealth transfer happens because it is happening. It is it's going to happen. That's Whether for you sure. want to or not, don't get ran over. Uh, be on the right side of that equation. All right, Ken. Thank you for sharing my all pleasure, your knowledge. Bro. Man, you're a beast. You. I really Thanks, appreciate dude. you. And uh, I'm, I'm serious. One of these days, I'm going to get on your podcast. <laughs> We're going to be talking about my $100 million fund. Until yes. then, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, we don't do advertisements on this podcast. So the only thing we do ask is that you maybe share it with a friend, spread the, the um, information around so that way more people can get turned on to uh, really understanding what it takes to get out of the rat race and live life on their own terms. Mm-hmm. Until next time, we're out of here. Take care. Comb your hair. Peace hey thanks for being a subscriber of the clever investor show as a thank you gift we wanted to give you something that we know is going to help you get started as a creative real estate investor it's our real estate success kit and it's completely free just go to www.reisuccesskit.com to customize your kit but essentially it's a collection of 15 training tools designed to help you get results quickly as a creative real estate investor. From systems to lead generation to finding cash buyers to creative ways to close deals and get paid. Your free REI Success Kit is just a few clicks away. Once again, the website's www.reisuccesskit.com.